opposing the, the government and opposing the Conservatives, I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that. that is the nature of the hard left. And of course we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any dissent whatsoever. Well, we know we're the hard left, but we associate with the hard left. You just said that we were right to right wing. The hard left agenda. Printing money, nationalisation without compensation. Hard left wing position. Hard left. The 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 hard left. God damn, yeah, I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm just fucking exhausted. Like, I don't even know how long we can record for because there is a small chance I may fall asleep sometime. Yeah, if I try not to, like, go off on any, like, too boring, like, fanboy... <laughs> Our usual three-hour-long <laughs> Let's just try and let's keep it short and sweet. No, no, yeah, like, when when I told my mum I was recording tonight, she was like, oh, don't, like, <laughs> I've got so little sleep, fuck, okay, okay, I need to, I need to get into podcast mode, where I'm doing my bits, and <laughs> fucking pretending to be Welsh, or whatever. <laughs> is it just the two of us today? Yeah, it is. I don't, you know, I don't think there's, um, I guess I, I did, I did ask Emmett when a few days ago when we were going to do it, I, I did ask him if he wanted to and he said we probably wouldn't have much to add, but we wouldn't cover necessarily, which, you know, I mean, he's got plenty to add, but. Got plenty to add. We like Emmett. Emmett. Yeah. Guy. Yeah, he was so fucking late for the gig, though. Like, I so can't you, how late he was. He did miss half of it, literally, probably <laughs> like, more than half of the set. More than half of the set, yeah. <laughs> so, so, he came in at just the right time for like the best of the hits. Yeah, yeah, for for the 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 smash hits. Yeah, the whole encore where he just played like all the big songs in a row. Um, Apart from Hungry Heart, which is like his only US top 10 single, I think. It's crazy. Yeah, Hungry Heart's the only one he didn't play. Yeah, yeah, of the, of the massive hits, yeah. Oh, Although, he's got some other, like, famous songs that yeah, he didn't Yeah, but he play. didn't do Secret Garden, but I never expect him to do Secret Garden. Oh, that's a very rare song to get live. He did actually play that on one of the recent tours, just, like, once or twice. He brought it out, because he was just... Before like the pan, be- not be- not before the pandemic, like before he put the Street wait- band on. Are we wasting podcast conversation? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, we're, since we're recording the call, I guess it's like you, you know, 
and you can add it in wherever you want i suppose yeah yeah it's it's all on record but no he was just playing crazy set lists like when he was touring with the e street band before he did the broadway show he was yeah. like it's just anything could be played if i was curating a list of my favorite songs secret garden would absolutely be on that set list but so would streets of philadelphia and he doesn't play that anymore either I that, seen... yeah streets of philadelphia is a great song Do, i mean which version of streets of Ga- uh, sorry of streets of garden which version of Se- secret garden do you like because there's the the synth one and the strings one it's the oh it's in a movie isn't it yeah it's in jerry Maguire. there you go yeah 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 with that... uh, starring glenn fry of the eagles that, that version is the best one the one that's in jerry Maguire. i think it's the synth one or it might be the string one they're both on this obscure ep that bruce put out in the 90s called them um, uh blood brothers yeah <laughs> but it's such a, it's a great it's a great love song like he actually writes really good ballads when he wants to mm. he does well maybe just as like a preamble bruce discussion so last weekend i played my friend's wedding you said yeah yeah, yeah, and I, I I mentioned it quite a bit because it was like the first time I played live in ages, and I was pretty like nervous about playing music in front of people. Yeah. Like as it was, like everyone talked over my set anyway. Rude. <laughs> yeah, ter- terrible. But to be fair, the officiator did literally say like, "Oh, talk amongst yourselves," and I was like really confused. Really? <laughs> like, it was only- like. There was like a litany of disrespect towards me from this, this officiator because it was like a secular ceremony. It wasn't like a religious thing. Just some woman in a really brightly coloured suit, like multi, multiple colours. And she was like, a bit like towards the end of this like half hour ceremony, she was like, and now um, some music. And because she didn't say, like, from from the couple's friend, Jack, or something, I was, like, confused. I didn't know it was me, and I was just sitting there, like... And then and my friend, like, got up and, like, whose wedding it was, he got up and, like, gestured, like, Jack, it's you. Like, so I got up, and, and I was, like, hidden at the corner of the stage so no one could really see me. <laughs> um, well, okay, so I know you, because you were practicing Crazy Love by Van Morrison, one of my faves. Yeah, but that was just kind of because I love Van. I was just trying to get that in there. I didn't end up playing that. That wasn't really... Great that show. was just me. Yeah, I rehearsed that and they own the media. And I said to my friend, like, so I was thinking of these two. And no, I, I just, I I got a few, like, romantic songs together. Mostly, like, Dylan ones. To, <laughs> to be fair. The two I actually played were If Not For You by Bob Dylan, which George right. Harrison also did a version of. Yeah. And also Harvest Moon by Neil Young. Oh, that's a great song. Yeah, it's a lovely song. And oh, the other ones that were in the mix. The other ones that were in the mix that, like, my friend was into, one that I suggested that he hadn't heard before, which was a song off Bob Dylan's last album, Rough and Rowdy Ways, from 2020, called I've Made Up My Mind to Give Myself to You. It's, like, a, just a really nice, like, plaintive love song. It's kind of yeah. just... It's on... There's a lot of strange lyrics on that album, but that one is just kind of, like... I knew you'd say yes. I'm <laughs> saying it too. Like <laughs> it's just very nice. Bob just doesn't sing anymore. Bob's like kind of crooning on it. He's like doing his Sinatra thing on that on, on that Not jam. His Sinatra talking. He does kind of do a t- talk sing thing, but he's developed more of a crooner style in the last decade with those albums of standards that he did. So um, you know, I have 
like I'm extremely anti Bob Dylan and strongly believe that other people sing his songs so much better than he does. Yeah, I do. One Bob <laughs> song that only Bob Dylan can sing, and it's the only Bob Dylan song that can move me to tears, like just from hearing the intro. It's uh, wiggle wiggle. No. It, <laughs> I'm just going to name, is it The Ugliest Girl in the World? What other stupid Bob Dylan songs would you no, never have heard of? Stupid Dylan song. It's a really good Bob Dylan song. What it's, song is it? It's the slow down version of Forever Young. Oh, the, yeah. He, he knocks out of a park. That's a lovely song. And and I, just the intro alone with the guitars is enough to move me to tears. I will start crying. I can't even yeah. hear line. Him and Robbie Robertson. Yeah, that, uh, that's, that's very they, nice. They can keep you always, and I'm already sleep. I'm already crying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, no, I love that song because, like, my mum wrote all the lyrics out for me in a really nice card on my birthday oh, one year when I was younger. Oh, and... sweet. Oh, Jack, that's going to make me cry. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 no, it was nice. And, like, yeah, so I think that's a, a very, a very lovely that's song. A wedding appropriate song also. Dylan did this awesome version of it on this, like, that weird live stream he did and that wasn't live at all in 2021 20, <laughs> or whatever that's just come out as an album, Shadow Kingdom. He's like, and climb on every rung. And he oh. <laughs> just, like, sings an incredibly low note. It's like... Wow, he sings with it with real panache. <laughs> Shall we talk about Bruce? Shall get... we talk about Bruce? Bruce. Bruce. Twenty minutes in, let's get back to the boss. The great, the great, the possibly the greatest. I'm so tired. Yeah, just let <laughs> let the record state that I am like barely cogitative, um, cognizant. Is cogitative (laughs) Cognitive? (laughs) Well, because, like, you can... To to cogitate upon something is to think about it. So I just... My cogitative was was where where my (laughs) mind went to. Well, anyway, yeah, welcome to Real Politic, everyone. This is part of the long-running series in which we uh, break our long-running rule of not allowing any women on the show so long as they talk to me about classic rock. That's the the condition. Following our Dylan episode with Rianne Jones and our Beatles episode with Lily, uh, this is now boss time with with the real boss, if you ask me. Yes, an exploitative capitalist, uh, Jude Wanger. Jude (laughs) in London, my my great friend. Hey, Jude, how are you doing? I'm great, Jack. How are you? I'm good, thanks. And Hey Jude, those eagle-eared listeners will notice Hey Jude is a song by Bruce Springsteen. Yes, and only Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, I we bet were, he has like it, done a can we, can we start like a petition to get Bruce to cover Hey Jude and then I will stop hating that song? I mean, do you mostly hate that song for like personal reasons? I mean, I mostly hate that song because it's a bad Beatles song. Sorry, that's too much Beatles talk. I've got to, I've got to pull this back. I've got to be a professional podcaster here. Although, and, and having said that, it was, a nice, it was a nice seek back to the boss because, as we all know, the last time that Bruce Springsteen played, he got cut off at Hyde Park whilst performing with body double Paul McCartney. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then didn't he start his next show with Twist and Shout, which they were playing when they got the pug pulled on them? And he was like... 
Uh, and to finish what I where I'm sorry, I can't talk. <laughs> <laughs> Just before what to finish what I was saying before we were so rudely interrupted or something, and then they just launched into the exact part of the song that yeah. they were playing when the plug was pulled. Which I don't know if it was with Maka. It was with Maka. They did. I saw her standing there, and then they were just about a minute and a half into Twist and Shout, and then they just pulled the plug. The previous time, apparently, that they'd pulled the plug on Bruce in 2009, he'd been about to perform Hungry Heart with John Bon Jovi, to which I say, you know, there is a time and a place for state intervention. And uh, that... Yeah, it's like there's reasons I'm not a libertarian and I believe that sometimes the benevolent state needs to intervene and prevent certain <laughs> socially deleterious, um, I don't what? know, I just used up all my energy there coming up with the word deleterious. What do you have against two sons of New Jersey duetting together? One's enough. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't need the bargain basement alongside the real deal. You know what I mean? We've already got little Stephen there who's like second tier Bruce, basically. Well, you know that John Bon Jovi is also from New Jersey. I've started I do. thing called the New Jersey Music Universe, which is a bit like the Trevor Bastard extended universe, but it's trying to map songs by artists who are either born or raised in New Jersey and whether they overlap or correlate there. So, for example, I believe that Billy Joel's River of Dreams and Bruce Springsteen's The River are about the same river. It's funny that Billy Joel has that album called Stormfront, like the <laughs> Nazi web forum. I think it was like just pre-internet, that album. So I'm pretty sure he was not saying I am a member of. And <laughs> I don't post, I just lurk. <laughs> <laughs> You're so going to get sued for that. Now, nah, Billy Joel is, um, I don't think he's a Nazi. No, I don't think he has any Naziness in him. I think he doesn't he often get mistaken for being Jewish. I think he is Jewish, sort of. Like, I think his like his dad was Jewish, but like didn't tell him he was Jewish growing up because he was like, oh, if I just don't tell him he's Jewish, then he's not going to get anti-Semitism because like no, no, no one's going to like you know think anything different. I don't kind of an interesting experiment. But like you say, I guess people did think he was Jewish. So his dad's cunning plan didn't work. And I guess eventually he was like, yeah, Bill, uh, Billy, sit down. <laughs> I kind of got something to tell you. Oh, you're right. I didn't know that. Well, how interesting. Rock facts. I know it all. Oh. Even about artists I don't really care about, like Billy like Joel. Billy Joel. <laughs> yeah, I know all about him. My sister went to see him in Hyde Park, actually. I was actually hoping that he would come out and do a duet with Bruce on the Saturday, just in keeping with the whole Jersey thing, because I feel like they would have done a really good cover either of Allentown or of one of Bruce's songs. But I'm trying to think which Bruce song that would have worked for. And I guess Born to Run works really well with like a rock piano. Oh, <laughs> I've literally just remembered just like, so <laughs> not about Bruce, but we... Actually, no, because I was going to link it back to Bruce. Oh, my God. OK, so cool. So 
So I was telling you, just like to cap off my story of playing at my friend's wedding. So <laughs> the other songs I did were, yeah, that song off the latest Dylan album. The ones I rehearsed, New Morning by Dylan, which is just one my friend really likes. And what was it? Was it also by Dylan or something? No, Something by the Beatles. With, uh, George, ah, that's a great George song. Harrison song. Okay. Yeah. Because it was written by the only good Beatle, George Harrison. Oh, come on. He is the only good Beatle. I'm not having that. Ringo. Yeah, Ringo Ringo is such a cool guy. You know Ringo's actually a really underrated drummer? Yeah, he is. He's he's fucking great. Fucking great, yeah. There we go. We've already established at least half of the Beatles were good. And then the other two were straight trash. (laughs) Oh, no. No. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, back to Bruce. Back, I I've got to. I'm I'm sorry, but I've occasionally I'm gonna have to do this to be a host just because I'm so tired. I'm gonna have to like violently intervene in the conversation to get oh. us back on track. But so yeah, those are the songs that I rehearsed, and then yeah, so I got up and I got to my little corner just by the side of the stage behind a pillar. <laughs> That's you know where I belong. <laughs> behind a pillar and uh, i i sat down i I played my songs and and the woman was just like yeah just uh talk amongst yourselves something just get just instructed everyone to talk while i was playing (laughs) so i did my first song but i was like uh can we please get a little bit of quiet just because this second one is like i had to do little pinch harmonics and sing in falsetto and stuff for harvest moon so i just wanted a little bit more wanted to be able to hear myself a little bit more and i took but kind of i was so fucking nervous i hadn't performed live in such a long time not counting like left-wing meetings where i said how great i was that i'd worked out that it was funny that a guy was called mike gapes or whatever bullshit i was telling people in 2019 <laughs> yeah so i was a bit nervous i was just like uh, yeah uh, this one's a bit quieter so um uh thanks so i did the other song and then the officiator was just this woman had it in for me like i'm a targeted individual it's just another government agent who's like trying to control my thoughts she was like gesturing at me to like stop playing i was like i'm I'm gonna get to the end of the chorus i'm gonna come to a nice clean natural ending for the song Anyway, yeah, so that was how I was uh, screwed over and <laughs> wronged and targeted on a day that, if you think about it, was all about me. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah, at the, at the end of the day. Re- really, my feelings should have been the primary thing catered to at the wedding of my two dear friends. Now, um, <laughs> what, how I was going to link that onto Bruce was when I was thinking of fucking songs to do at the wedding because a lot of the stuff I like is kind of a bit weird and dark and off you know kind of your twist I'm a little bit like you know sort of a fictional character the Joker just I like things a little bit twisted you know a little bit askew you know what I'm saying um you you see you don't know what I'm talking about I love a good deep cut though yeah a a little one on the rarities albums absolutely a b-side so i was thinking like what bruce songs would be like suitable for a wedding and i sort of really struggled because in all his like big bangers that loads of people love i mean like bruce you can't he's not a guy who has like a kind of all-male fan base like a lot of women love bruce his fan base is pretty white 
despite some you know his best efforts but nonetheless he's got like a real kind of wide appeal but then in all of his songs there's something that just makes it a little kind of fucking you know a little twisted a little skew like there'll just be a line about like working at the factory or fucking wanting to kill yourself just like in the middle of the song it'll be like dancing in the dark it's like mostly lyrics about hating yourself and your life with a small added amount of romance to turn it into something that passes for a pop song even in like thunder road which is a beautiful kind of florid romantic lyric it's just throws in like you ain't a beauty but hey you're all right like just slightly bring it down but yeah mostly it will be almost wedding appropriate and then just be like and then I lost my foot in a crate loading accident at the docks. Well, that would have been really fitting because there's a song by Matt Nathanson called Wedding Dress that people think is really romantic, but that's because they don't actually listen to the lyrics. And when you actually listen what to the lyrics, the lyrics it's basically a man saying, I don't think we are going to make it as a married couple because things are going to go to shit. But you look really pretty in your wedding dress, basically. Okay. Um, and people just don't hear that part. They're like, oh, the song is so pretty. And it's like, you can disguise the world's darkest lyrics if you put it to a really pretty tune. One of the beauties of Bruce Springsteen's music is that I think his lyrics are very deep. Yeah, they, they are. There's almost a juxtaposition between the lyrics and the music. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> one thing I found really funny was he played both of the songs of Born in the USA, uh, both of the songs of multi-million selling album, like biggest album of 1984, Born in the USA, both of the songs off that album that are about getting arrested for statutory rape. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Like, Working on the Highway is about being in a chain gang because you had sex with an underage girl. <laughs> and Darlington County is a story song about, like, Bruce goes down to Darlington County, just like a lot of, sort of like Keir Starmer frequently does. He goes down to Darlington County to, like, get his fuck on, basically. He's, like, uh, just like Sir Keir Starmer. <laughs> oh, good Lord. So, so his friend Wayne has got a union connection through his uncle. Again, like Bruce repping for working people there. But yeah, Wayne fucks some underage girl and gets arrested. And at the end of the song, Bruce is like watching Wayne being taken away by the police. <laughs> what did you think of the set list? Were you happy with the set list? Because I thought it was a really tight set list. Look, I mean... I'm a pretty hardcore fan. He could have thrown in a few more deep rarities and I would have loved it. But at the end of the day, like I like pretty much every one of the songs on this set list. I'm not going to fucking complain about hearing Badlands. I'm not going to complain about hearing Prove It All Night. That is amazing, just hearing the hits, to be honest. It was a very hit-focused set. Yeah, there were a couple of points during that I got really emotional and I didn't think I'd get so emotional hearing him play My Hometown. Because he didn't yeah. play- Oh, that was so beautiful. But my hometown is one of my favorite Bruce Springsteen songs. Yeah, play it, and I was in my hometown, so it just had extra meaning, I guess. Oh Um, yeah, absolutely perfect. And Wrecking Ball was the other one. Wrecking Ball, yeah, that's not one of my favorites, but I I do like the song, and it. I actually really love the Wrecking Ball album. Yeah, the album is good because it's him just like saying that bankers should be killed. 
good shit like that it's just all about the financial crisis yeah and it's just got crazy production where every song just has like a full mariachi band tom morello shredding and like a hip-hop beat it must be so hard for bands or artists like bruce or like the stones when they're putting together a set list where it's like if it's an album tour i've got to dedicate i'm going to do 20 songs in this entire set right and it's an album tour, so I've got to do at least eight songs off the new album or seven songs off the new album. If and you're then... Bruce, maybe. Not if you're the Stones. They'll do, like, a tiny handful. Oh, no. When they did the Bigger Bang tour, which was their last album tour, really. Yeah, um, yeah, it was, yeah. They did five or six off the album. Yeah, maybe. They were pushing that album pretty hard, actually, yeah. Nobody fucking listened to that album except for the one song they actually fucking released from it. And they yeah. were like... Right, you've played Streets of Love now. Just play the hits. Just play the oh, fucking. Streets of Love fucking sucks. I hate that song. I don't That's... mind it, but it's very saccharine. It's very... late. It's classic <laughs> late Jagger bullshit. I hate those. I bet Keith didn't doesn't even play on the studio version of it. He was just like, I'm not having this. It's funny, but... but for me, it's like with a set list. See, I liked the set list. Boss, yeah, like... yeah, for Bruce, I loved the set list. But I would have liked a little bit more of the big hits. It's hard, though, because the songs for the set list were perfect and they flowed really well with each other. And I can't see looking at it. So the songs that I was missing were I would have loved to hear him do Secret Garden, which he just doesn't really ever do live anymore. Not one of the big hits, though, I wouldn't say. Or Streets of Philadelphia. Like, he didn't do that. And he didn't doesn't get played, really. And he didn't do Hungry Heart, which he hasn't really been doing since the pandemic, I think. Yeah. But I can't see on that set list where he would have put all three of those in. Yeah, the thing is, Streets of Philadelphia and Secret Garden, they're kind of momentum killers at a show. And, like, I mean, they're they're great, obviously. (laughs) I'd love to hear, if I was listening to a Bruce bootleg and he played one of those songs, that would be great for just me listening to it in the comfort of my own home on headphones. But at a show, people would start just, like, talking, getting angsty. And you did kind of see that during, like, My Hometown. But at least that's off one of the biggest selling albums of all time. So he's kind of got some latitude. Like, once you've put My Hometown in, people don't appreciate his slower songs. And that's the running theme between all of them. Like, all of the songs that I realised that I would have loved to have heard on the night were all either ballads or slow songs. So, like, Jack of All Trades, Secret Garden, Treats of Philadelphia. Those are really slow songs. And yeah. If we're doing those three and My Hometown as well. That's, like, four ballads. Exactly, yeah. It would have to be a kind of little section of the show and then people would get really antsy. But, yeah, what? My Hometown was great because that is kind of an anthem, at least. It's like, so and... good. And it's so powerful, but it's so good. It, the melody is so simple. The backing is so simple and it just lets the voice and the words carry. That was one of the many songs where I was proper doing my most aggressive singing along to like the most hardcore, miserablest, social realist lyrics in the song. So when it's like Foreman says the jobs are going, boys, and they ain't coming back, I was just like screaming that like the jobs are going, boys. (laughs) And he played the river. So I got to scream along to but lately there ain't been much work on account of the economy. (laughs) Oh, that was a great gig. Yeah, it was great. You know, I fucking loved actually that he played fucking night shift yes which like i gotta be honest i haven't listened to his soul covers album yet it came out like a year ago now and i just haven't got around to it 
great song by the Commodores. I think it's one of Lionel Richie's better written songs. And this was again, it's like another kind of blind spot for me. Like Jude was at the show, she was like, Oh, this was like Lionel Richie's old group, and I had no fucking idea. You know, I knew the song and I knew obviously Lionel Richie, but I didn't put the two together. If I recall correctly, I actually don't think Lionel Richie actually wrote Night Shift. I think he he might have actually already left the Commodores at this point. But they wrote it. I don't know if you remember. Marvin Gaye has a song called Abraham Martin and John. Oh, yeah, I know that song. Yeah. Dylan covered it. Yeah. Night Shift kind of follows a similar pattern to Abraham Martin and John, where it talks about... If anybody's seen my old friend Abraham. Yeah. Can you tell me where he's gone? So Night Shift starts off in a similar... It has a very similar theme because it starts off, Marvin, he was a friend of mine. And yeah, yeah. Song, his heart in every line. And that was about Marvin Gaye and the Jackie in the song is Jackie Wilson because they both died. Like, ah. Uh, written. Shit, yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. And yeah, it was the guy after Lionel Richie, JD Nicholas, who sings on the song. Yeah. Um, through the lyrics they actually work in like name drop what's going on by Marvin Gaye during his verse and then they name drop Jackie Wilson's Lonely Teardrops oh Bruce has covered Lonely Teardrops actually I mean I think Jackie Wilson had probably like the greatest soul voice ever but yeah it's an amazing song so it was really nice because I love Abraham Martin and John, I actually really love Night Shift. And everybody hates Night Shift because it's like the Commodores were really kind of slightly cheesy. And it was post Lionel Richie Commodores as well. But I think Night Shift is one of their best songs. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I really like the song. I think it's got a kind of haunting so well feel to it. worked amazingly as a cover. Yeah, Bruce sings it with a lot of conviction. And it's the only song from the cover's album still left in the set. At the start of the tour, he was playing like one other, maybe two other ones throughout the whole tour but yeah what we didn't get much of at the bruce show was we didn't get many songs from the most recent album of new material letter to you from 2020 i think i think they recorded it at the end of 2019 just before the pandemic but yeah he played four songs off that album ghosts last man standing letter to you and an acoustic version of I'll See You In My Dreams, which oh, is so beautiful. Yeah, I, I, think, I think Bruce would do really well if he did like an acoustics album. So he just, could, just acoustic. Just stuff. acoustic. But then he could do those slower ballads that he doesn't get to really do on tours anymore. If you do an album tour, people are coming to hear the songs on the album necessarily. And then you just tack on the big hits at the end. So he could go into those deep cuts of those rarities that I think really deserve to get played still, but don't because people just want to come and they want to hear Badlands and they want to hear Thunder Road and they want to hear Glory Days. One of my favourite Bruce tours was the Devils in Dust tour in 2005, which was a solo tour and he did have an album to promote, but because it was just him, although there was actually a guy playing keyboards off stage on a lot of the songs, because it was ostensibly just Bruce, he could fucking play anything. And he was just playing like the wildest shit from him throughout his career and playing on all different instruments as well. Like he'd do some solo electric guitar stuff. Like when Link Ray died, he covered Rumble on stage just with a stomp box and electric guitar, which is very sick. Yeah, and just playing pump organ and stuff. 
it's kind of like you see a Neil Young solo show. He's just surrounded by instruments on stage, so he can play literally anything if he wants to. That Bruce Covers album is actually really good. I'm glad that Night Shift made it on because that was the single that he released. Yeah. Before. But I would have loved to hear his version of What Becomes of the Brokenhearted live. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good song. Great I love song. it. That's a great Jimmy Ruffin song. Or his version of Don't Play That Song by Benny King. They were playing that at the start of the tour. This tour has the most static set lists of any Bruce tour in years and years. That I noticed as well, like, it was not really changing that much. No, because he does this thing, he releases, like, official soundboard audio of every show. Because I'm a proper fucking bootleg nerd. If he changed the set list massively every night, I would listen to every single show of the tour as they come out. But because it's been pretty similar, I have not done that. So I've just been waiting for the one we saw to come out so I can have that, the first show of the tour. And then maybe I'm going to make a little compilation of the songs that they didn't play at either of those two shows. Because they've done a few little things here and there where they've spiced it up. No, it was a good, it was a good solid set of good music. But back to his covers album, I've heard that he's planning on doing a second covers album. Yeah, because it said volume one on it. Just like Van Morrison's latest record project, volume one. Volume two, I'm still awaiting on that one. Yeah. (laughs) He finally reveals who the they and they own the media is. Yeah, but yeah, he's planning on touring for that second album as well. So I think we're going to get that. Bruce tour next year anyway. I think it will be with a different band, I heard. Which I, I think it's going to be with the E Street. Okay, because yeah, it's, I can see why he might want to take a different band out. But it's like, hey, Bruce, you know which band has historically been really good at backing you up on like soul and R&B songs? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's funny because I've seen Bruce now with the E Street Band and without the E Street Band, and they've both been really, really tight. Wait, when did you see him without the E Street Band? It would have been... 2012 he didn't have the E Street Band with him. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. He definitely did. The Wrecking Ball tour. That was an E Street Band tour. It was like a big expanded E Street Band tour. You are right. And in fact, that was a really big one because it was just after what's his name had just died as well. Clarence. Yeah, yeah. So he brought in like a whole horn section to like yep, back up yep, Jake Clemens. Yep. You are correct. My brain is mashed. I'm trying Mine to- is too, but it's just I'm such a fucking nerd. I think when I saw him without the E Street, his backup band were quite tight when I did. I'm just trying to remember what it was. Nope, it's gone. Was it, it wasn't like Sega <laughs> Sessions in like 2006, was it? It might have been. It was a long time ago. Because that was the last time I think he would have come to Europe with a yeah. non-E Street band. But they were really good. And I'm interested to see what song he chooses for the second covers album, firstly. And who he chooses to be in the band for if he's not going to use the E Street. Well, yeah, hopefully he doesn't call up Nils Lofgren as the only E Street guy he retains because I want Crazy Horse to do some shows and Neil Young and Bruce Springsteen have got to reach an equitable deal about how they share Nils Lofgren because Neil's doing solo shows at the moment and that's cool, that's great, but the world needs Crazy Horse. Well, what if we just... You know, there hasn't been a second iteration of the Travelling Wilburys since all of the oh. <laughs> bar one 
Since they're all fucking dead now. Yeah, I think basically the traveling Wilburys now is just Bob Dylan. Just... No, wait, Jeff Lynn. Jeff Lynn. And Jeff Lynn, that's it. They're the only two. Like, yeah. George Harrison bowed out very quickly. He was like, nope, I'm done. I'm off. Yeah, 2001. Petty died that's in 2017. Wait, Roy Orbison went before George Harrison. Orbison went before even the second Traveling Wilburys album, which is called Vol, <laughs> which is called Volume Three, just to fuck with people. I love that. That's so we such, need, such. We need a new Traveling Wilburys, but who would we put in the Traveling Wilburys? Because I would like to see Bruce and Keith play together. Okay, Bruce, Keith, Neil, Fogerty from Credence, John Fogerty, John Cale, just add a Welsh guy in it just to make it insane. Stick John Cale in there. That's an interesting quintet. Yeah, that's what they're all. I mean, yeah, because like the point of a traveling Wilburys, like, is they're all singers and guitarists, isn't it? Yeah. Like, you don't need to have a guy who plays you bass need, and a guy. Yeah, you need a because you'll, you'll hire the best session musicians. Like, yeah. Get Jim Keltner. Well, yeah, Bruce. Anyway, Bruce and Neil. They should just do a Bruce Springsteen Neil Young tour, so that Nils Lofgren can play for like six hours on stage every night with both bands. <laughs> Oh, so in our Travelling Wilburys take two, with Bruce and Keith, the two Johns. Wait, what was the other John? John Cale and who else? Fogarty. Fogarty. Who else did we put in there? It was Bruce, Neil... Neil Young. Yeah, so there's the five, there's the five. Keith Richards, John Fogarty and John Cale. Neil, Bruce and Keith. What's their set list? Oh, well, the Travelling Wilburys never toured, just pointing no. that. So they never actually There's had to decide. Albums. Are they doing covers? And whose songs are they covering? Oh, they're doing original songs, just like the Wilburys, I imagine. They'd all be chipping in and writing really silly lyrics together. Because that's the thing about the Travelling Wilburys. It's not like you were getting like, oh, we've got Bob Dylan. We've got the best lyricist in pop music history. So our lyrics are going to be the best in pop music history. It's like, it's like, no, Bob's just hanging out. Like he's with, he's like having a fun time with his friends. He's here for the vibes. Yeah, he's not, he's not writing masterpieces. Actually, the first Travelling Wilburys album has a song called Tweeter and the Monkey Man, which is Dylan's parody of Springsteen. (laughs) The the lyrics have a little bunch. It's like, he was driving in the Jersey night down on Thunder Road. (laughs) Man, as Emmett pointed out at the show, we got a shout out to brother Emmett. Shout out to Brad Emmett. He missed half the show, but he he did time but he gave us the funniest moment of the show when bruce was giving a touching speech to the audience about his dead friends and emmett was just like yeah tell him bruce stammer (laughs) out (laughs) was that when we both got the giggling (laughs) there was that and then there was when bruce was playing fucking the river and singing about fuck it no it was like he was doing i think it was he was doing the speech before last man standing where he talks about how the other members of his first band are all dead now and you just heard the fucking carousel behind us going like (laughs) it's just everyone like screaming as they went round on the carousel the starmer out thing was so funny like that i've got really into that like at the wedding the band played seven nation army I was singing Oh Jeremy Corbyn along to it. And then when it ended, I was like, yeah, Starmer out. And then my friend and his new wife, they got up to sing a song that 
they'd recorded a silly song about tractors. They got up to sing that with the wedding band, and everyone at the end was like chanting, like, one more song, one more song. And I was just chanting, Starmer out, Starmer out. <laughs> My friend was like, I'm not sure that's what they're saying. So what I was going to say was Emmett, when Bruce started playing Thunder Road, turned to me and said, this is the most dead and company ass version of Thunder Road. And that's like dead and company are like the current iteration of the Grateful Dead with John Mayer on guitar. <laughs> and um, their thing is like basically they play every song that they do at the slowest tempo imaginable. And it was a very like, slow Thunder Road. But back to Bruce, who does play slow sometimes, but was but, but, on fire on the guitar during this concert. Oh, yeah, Bruce tore it up. He did a sick solo on Kitty's Back, where he he did, like, you know, I guess some people like find Bruce kind of cheesy because he does a lot of, like, mugging for the audience and stuff. But, like, he did this thing where he played, like, a really high guttural bend on his guitar, and he just held it for, like, a minute while pulling a comedy guitar face. And he literally did it as, like, a conscious comedy bit, just having fun. I like that, but the rest of the solo was actually really good, and he ripped it on Prove It All Night. It wasn't like the 10 minute 78 arrangement of Prove It All Night, but it was fucking fire. I love that song. That's just one of my favorites. Bruce Springsteen was amazing, but I really love going to outdoor rock concerts. There's something about... You can smoke weeds. Well, you can smoke weed, but there's just something about listening to... And I don't know if it's Hyde Park especially. Like when we saw The Stones last year, which was a fucking amazing concert, literally. Yeah flawless there was something really special about it because obviously because it was i think it was the first time they played high park since their first gig at high park last time they played high park without charlie i think it was their first london gig since charlie had died a lot of emotion in there but it's almost as if high park was made for concerts and it's a real shame that all the concerts have to end so early and i mean mm. bruce came on stage at seven o'clock i don't think that yeah, he was did was I wasn't even there. Yeah, you came just as he came on. I heard No Surrender as I was coming into the venue. And then I found you in the middle of Ghosts, the second song. He came on stage at seven when you would have normally expected him to come on at like eight o'clock. Yeah, um, he's got a lot of songs to do. Right, but I don't think it's the length of the songs. I think it's because of the noise curfew. Yeah. The noise curfew is so bad now. I personally wouldn't buy a house or move into a place that's near a venue if mm. I wasn't expecting those venues to have live shows going on until the early hours. Personally. Yeah, it's pretty weird because Bruce has done a lot of his longest shows in Europe, like in Sweden and shit. So it's like, and I guess I they don't have the same strict curfew. Like a fucking Hyde Park concert to go on until midnight. We're saying 11 o'clock is a reasonable cutoff. Yeah, yeah. 11 o'clock is a reasonable cutoff in London. You can still make the last trains. Most <laughs> times you can have the last trains are still running. It would have still been fucking light. <laughs> it's concert. Like, it was a very nice day. But this whole thing about pulling the plug and having these curfews really stifles what going to either open air or concerts are into it about. I think a lot of people yeah. who love going to live music just don't like the chore that it is to go and see live music now. And that's why I think High Park Festival is the only one I actually ever really do. I don't even really go to concerts. Like Islington Academy is like right up my road and I barely ever go or the Forum in Kentish Town. I barely ever go because it just feels like such a chore. All the good things about going to gigs have kind of been sanitised out of it. And so even though 
hype rock festival in and of itself because that's not what it used to be called it used to be called hard rock calling mm. and it be a blues festival at first and even through its change it still kind of retained that dedication to having blues and all rock stars play every single year yeah hence i go if, if it was anybody under like 70 playing i fucking wouldn't have stepped foot there the first time i went i think was 2007 or 2008 when it was still hard rock calling and i saw credence oh Paul shit Pete, uh cheryl crow and Wait, who was the second name you said cheryl crow it was full no, before it, cheryl crow it was the full credence Clearwater. it wasn't oh. just because in 2012 Wait, now, did they ever reform no, but it was kind of as many of them on stage as possible, if I can remember correctly, because they were billed as Credence Clearwater Revival oh. rather than in 2012, where it was billed as John Fogerty on his own. Oh, OK. And Cheryl Crow played as well. And I think there was someone else who played. And then in 2011, I saw Stevie Nicks and Gary Clark Jr. Gary Glitter, yeah. No, no Gary sorry. Clark Jr. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> No, Gary Clark, you know, he's a phenomenal guitarist. Yeah, right? he is a great guitarist. I, but, I know him well. Well, let's talk about Bruce Springsteen some more anyway. Who, as far as we know, has never done heroin. He's never killed any kids. Or, or killed any kids. Or fucked any, despite or, his close friendship with Obama. And said that New Jersey is not as white as it used to be. Well, I sort of alluded to this earlier. Bruce is, you know, very progressive on racial issues, although your good self excluded, not many black people listen to him. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I don't... Statistically... Sorry, sorry to... Like, I'm just like, all right, let's hear about the black experience, then I immediately talk over you. (laughs) But, like, Clarence said... uh... Don't listen to Bruce Springsteen. I think that rock music originated with black people and then got almost taken away from black people, became very inaccessible to black people. So it's not necessarily that they don't listen to Bruce Springsteen, but it's that rock concerts became slightly hostile places for black people to be. Because like, the music that we were going to see is all rooted in black music anyway. Totally. It loves soul music. Experience that is the exclusionary aspect of it. And so I think you'd probably find a lot of black people who listen to Bruce Springsteen at home, but have never seen him live. Because like Clarence Clemens, he said that when the Street Band played in Africa on this human rights now tour that Amnesty put on in the 80s, it was so wild to him to actually see loads of black faces in the audience. Because in the early days of the Street Band, there were two other black guys in the band as well. He was like, there'd be more fucking black guys on stage than actually in the audience. (laughs) But it's like we were saying at both the Rolling Stones and the Bruce Springsteen, it's like centrist dad central. Like you look out yeah, yeah. and it's like, oh, you can see almost the entire Guardian News department in here somewhere. Yeah, uh, Jeremy Vine was there in a baseball cap trying to hide from a baying mob of anti-pedo activists. <laughs> <laughs> he did literally say that. He said because they like falsely printed his name as possibly being, you know. The guy who ended up being Hugh Edwards. Being Hugh Edwards, exactly. He was trying to lay low at the Bruce show, apparently. But yeah, so it was not a particularly diverse crowd. The most diversity that was at that Bruce concert was the smorgasbord of dad dancing that was happening. (laughs) Oh, and bad clapping. There was lots of very... White people's eternal struggle. But me and, obviously, as you know, I came with my friend Matty. 
we noticed a group of like three Karens, some elder Karens, who we thought, were they turfs or were they turf adjacent? We can't really tell. But I don't even think they knew each other. But by the end of the concert, they were all standing together. And they each had a different type of mum dancing. Mm-hmm. And you could almost look at them. There were like three completely different types of women. One was your modern, classy dress elder woman who's like 60 but still gets her hair dyed blonde and pays a lot of attention to her clothes. And then there's one that looks like a hardworking headmistress in a in a London primary school somewhere. <laughs> yeah, Mrs. Snuffy, exactly. There's one who looks very much like a turf with strangly grey hair. And they were all doing different types of mom dances. And it was like, I wonder which era of Bruce Springsteen they all got into Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> yeah, like the river, maybe. That's what my dad, like, uh, when my friends were around last night, my dad went up to him. He was like, you know, I first saw Bruce Springsteen in 1980. It was like it was like when like Alan Partridge is like, yeah, you know, I used to go along to the wing shows in the late 70s. It was pretty crazy times. I mean, yeah, it would have been sick to see Bruce on the River Tour in 1980, to be fair. It would. We were pretty far back, but we had a good spot in that I managed to clear a huge clearing in the crowd with my shitty singing and weed smoke. It was sort of like the parting of the Red Sea. It was good because we had that ridiculously tall man who was standing in front of us. Oh, I hate these tall people. Ridiculously tall dad. And I don't understand why. Call me Stalin, but I feel like if you're over six foot three, every single inch above that is just a waste. It's acceptable. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Um, yeah, And if you're going to attend a concert and you're over six foot three, they should make you stand at the very, very back, or you have to sit down, or you have to kneel. Yeah, that would have been so fun. Like, on your knees, on your fucking knees. knees. Because it, it, it <laughs> gun to his head. Very quickly for me, every time those two fuckers stood up. Personally, I, I, lo- I love to spend an entire three-hour Bruce Springsteen show holding a gun to a guy's fucking head as he's on his knees. Like, stay <laughs> down, you tall bastard. It's like up in the fucking clouds because he was so fucking tall. Yeah. <laughs> like, dear God, I'm sure you know how tall you are. I'm sure you know that where you are standing, you're blocking everyone behind you. Either sit down or stand somewhere where you're not impeding other people. Like that's yeah. what asking. So it was not a very diverse crowd, but I think it's because rock concerts are quite hostile to people of colour to come into and go to as festivals or concerts. And I yeah. think that changed if it became less inaccessible or less hostile, then you would see those kind of shy Bruce fans or the shy Tories, the shy Bruce fans or those black Bruce fans actually put themselves out there to go to a rock concert because yeah. I enjoy Bruce Springsteen in the comfort of my house, but I don't know if I want to go to a Bruce Springsteen concert and just be surrounded by white people who vote for the Tories, for example. Surrounded by me yelling along to the lyric in Born in the USA about killing the yellow man. And be surrounded by Jeremy Vine or 10,000 Jeremy Vines. Like That would be quite annoying for me. So I think that is what the issue is. And Bruce has said loads of times that he would explicitly, like, you know, he's been very on record about trying to Maybe be more open. Maybe for his next tour, he should do a thing where he sets aside a specific amount of tickets at more accessible prices, specifically oh. colour to take. Well, that's his problem at the moment, is the accessible prices, full stop. There's been a lot of controversy over the dynamic pricing of his tickets for the American market. The I don't more... care. American market? <laughs> yeah, fu- I mean, fuck Americans and that, but, fuck you know. 
we had the good fortune of getting free tickets to this gig through nepotism because yeah. i'm a, I'm Bruce. I'm Bruce Springsteen's nephew. No, I'm just kidding. My auntie is a civil servant who works for Royal Parks. It's not very exciting nepotism. <laughs> Don't get your hopes up, guys. Royal Parks does not pay particularly well, as far as I know. So I'm sure they give out the tickets to obscure the fact that they're not paying very well for those. There jobs. you go. My auntie didn't say it. Jude said it. So right. yeah. <laughs> hey, that's Auntie Moore. Double her pay. Yes, definitely. Or she hey. can just go on strike by stealing all the tickets to the next Hyde Park Festival and selling them. What else is in this set list then? What else do we get? I could have done without Mary's Place, to be honest. That goes on forever. Right. Not, it did. It's not one of the best songs on The Rising. Out in the Street is like a great three-minute song that is always performed for at least six minutes. Because just, it's just got so many... Whoa! whoa yeah 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 and it's fun for about a minute and then it's like yeah okay i get the idea let's do another bang did you feel like the crowd were just really bad at participating in that gig yes they yes. were really bad at participating whereas the year before the stones crowd were just like we're on it and we're gonna do it yeah they like missed basic fucking cues from bruce where he's like sing you know oh in badlands or whatever yeah. they're just like standing there twiddling with their dicks it's like fucking none of you just have to be here <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> that is the problem with the crowds at these gigs i thought it was an interesting choice that he only had the chicks formerly known as the dixie chicks before Black Lives Matter gave them a reckoning. I thought it was very interesting to choose them to be his opening act. Do you reckon that that was his choice or it's through the festival? I don't know, because on the day that Billy Joel played, he had Daryl Hall from Hall & Oates. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would have liked Daryl Hall to be on Bruce's night. I feel like that would have been mm. a hit. Yeah, that could have been cool. Daryl Hall made this sick album with Robert Fripp in the late 70s that's really weird art rock and it's so different from anything Hall and Oates ever did. So yeah, I fuck with Daryl Hall. Daryl Hall has like his own YouTube channel where he just does covers with his kids, I guess. Oh, uh, nice. It's really, sick. it's really, really sick. It's so good. That is kind of what Robert Fripp actually does with Toya Wilcox, his wife. They just do all these weird covers that you'd never expect fucking the mastermind of King Crimson to be doing. His voice has held up really well. And I think like Bruce. when people think of Paul and Oates, they just kind of think of You Make My Dreams Come True, which is kind of like bum, 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 bum. But their deep cuts are really, really soulful. And Daryl Hall has actually really, really beautiful voice. Oh, definitely. He's a great singer. He's a really, really great singer. And it would have been nice to have seen him do a duet with Bruce on something. I could have seen him do a duet on My Hometown or something. I think Daryl Hall would have sounded really good on that. I mean, Badlands is just like, I mean, obviously it's been played at like almost every show since 1978, but I'm glad because it's just such an amazing song. I would have fucking cried if he didn't play Badlands, to be honest. It's just, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, so good. And um, that I'm. this is bad music criticism, I'm sorry. Promised Land was great. He was just ripping it up on the harmonica. That was really early in the show. The Rising. Oh, I remember The Rising. I made that really funny joke to you about how the bit in the song, because The Rising is obviously like his post 9-11 record and song. And there's that bit in it. It's like, lie, 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 lie. And I was like, he's singing about all the lies that George Bush told about 9-11. <laughs> 
Because jet fuels can't melt steel beams. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Straight facts from the boss. I think that was after that after night shift. It kind of went my hometown. Was it my hometown then the river or the river then my hometown? My hometown then the river. And then Last Man Standing, and then Backstreets, which is yeah. like maybe Bruce's best song ever about being gay. Because it's, it's all, it, no, it's, if you read the lyrics, it really reads like it's a love song between two men. Whether it's just a friendship that's just very passionate or whether it is a love affair. It's like the quote unquote woman in the song, Terry, has a kind of gender ambiguous name. And it's just one of those songs that it's like you can see him kind of looking over longingly at Steve when he's singing it. Yeah, and then he did the Patti Smith cover, didn't he? Because the night, yeah. The song on which virtuoso guitarist Nils Lofgren got to do his only guitar solo of the night. And then after that, it kind of went into the run of the hits, into the encore. Yeah, she's the one, Wrecking Ball, The Rising, obviously, straight facts. Badlands, Thunder, the slowest Thunder Road of all time. It was slow. Yeah, it was very slow. I don't know. It's just hard to sing. Being that slow. Born in the USA to open the encore, which was sick because, like, because we sophisticated Europeans have brains unlike dumb American invertebrates, <laughs> we he feels like he can play that song for us, basically, whereas he doesn't really in America very much. So we got full on Born in the USA, big bombast, big drums, big synths. Kill the yellow man! Text FFF straight up, like, don't worry, I sang the bit. Uh, yeah, and then he did Born to Run, and I've seen him do Born to Run before, and I thought that this yeah. was up there with one of the best renditions of Born to Run that he's done. Also quite slow. Quite, quite a slow rendition. A little bit slower. I but, think um, who cares? a bit more meaningful, because it was a little bit slower. But I found, like, all of the big songs were just slightly slower than they yeah. were supposed to be. Because Glory Days felt quite slow as well. I was saying earlier about how a lot of his songs are like great wedding songs on the surface, but they've all just got something that kind of fucks with them. It's like Glory Days, I guess, perfect song to like have a wedding band play after the ceremony. But it is all just about like being a sad sack, washed up fucking middle aged person. (laughs) It's got a melancholy to it as well. But I was just listening to him sing that and I was just thinking like, this is such a great like Jersey redneck song. Like the whole thing is just like, I had a friend who was a big baseball player. It does just come out, come across like the loudest, most big mouthed guy in the bar twisting your ear. Yeah. It's actually quite interesting because if you look at the whole set list, I think he did eight songs from Born in the USA, the album. Damn. Yeah, fuck. In 2014, he played the entire Born in the USA album, or 13 maybe, at Hyde Park. And he did the River Tour where he played the entire album. Well, by the time the River Tour came to Europe, he'd got bored with playing the entire album. So he was just doing mad set lists of like four hours. He He did eight songs from Born in the USA. Five yeah. from Born to Run. Yeah. Four from Letter to You. Yeah. Three from Darkness on the Edge of the Town. Two from The Rising. Two from The River. Two from The Covers, because he did Because the Night. And then he... It's not really a cover, but it's like set list oh. FM lists yeah. as bad because it was originally. He did, from, he did Kate by Patty Smith. called Innocent and the E Street Shuffle. Yeah. And then Wrecking Ball from Wrecking Ball. Whereas yeah. I would like, when he did the Wrecking Ball tour, like I said, 
of the songs of his that I would have liked to have seen again, I would have liked him to do Land of Hope and Dreams. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Jack of All Trades as well. I don't think he's done Jack of All Trades on this tour. Yeah, he's done Land of Hope and Dreams and Death to My Hometown on this tour. He did Death to My Hometown in Edinburgh, I think, or definitely at some shows on the European leg. And yeah, that's one of my favourites of his recent songs. What, Death to My Hometown? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I love that tune. So good. I actually thought, I just thought that Wrecking Ball, I love it when an artist who has done so many studio albums comes out with an album later on that is just like a full album that's really really good because it's it's yeah. so easy to start doing albums where just the lead singles are great and then the rest is almost filler and yeah. every now and then you'll get an album that's just really really good shit it's like pink floyd's album started to be a bit blah blah blah, blah, blah and then the division bell is just a fucking good album the division bell is a great album and it fits really perfectly and i i don't know if it was just dave gilmore trying to prove that he really doesn't need fucking <laughs> Yeah, I think he does. I think he does, Nicky Waters. But the division bell is really beautiful. But I think the reason it's so beautiful is because it's constantly paying a homage to early Pink Floyd anyway. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's some dopey lyrics on that album, like, in a world of magnets and men. Hey, 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 Let's. we're not going to disparage High Hopes, which is possibly one of my favourite Pink Floyd songs. Uh, uh, also the name of a song covered by Bruce Springsteen and the name of his 2014 studio album. High Hopes is a great title. Frank Sinatra also had a song called High Hopes. I could have done, actually, in this set with a bit more new material. I mean, I say new, the album is now three years old. But stuff of Letter to You, I mean, I loved how he ended the concert with I'll See You in My Dreams. Like Emmett, despite showing up for the last hour of the concert only, basically wanted to get out of there before the end of the concert. But I was like, no, just let me finish with Zoot, man. Let me finish with Zoot, then we'll go. Four songs from Letter to You. Yeah, he did four, but a lot. But at the start of the tour, he was playing like Burning Train and House of a Thousand Guitars. And I mean, to be honest, House of a Thousand Guitars kind of sucks, but like Burning Train is good. And I want him to do the three like old songs from the early 70s that he recorded for Letter to You that were these wordy songs where he's trying to be Bob Dylan, but he just does them like in this big classic Springsteen arrangement. And it's this man in his early 70s singing these lyrics written by young crazy bruce they did if i was the priest earlier in the tour but i don't think they've done janie needs a shooter which is so sick or song for orphans i want those but i mean it would have been a bit i don't know how they would have gone down at high park but the thing is bruce always plays mad song choices at like these enormous outdoor shows so it's like there is precedent for him playing whatever fucking crazy song either of us want him to play like secret garden or whatever like yeah Yeah. he probably has played that at an open air concert while it's fucking light at some point it's interesting because like you said he hasn't really deviated from the set list on this tour at all so I think the gig he played right after High Park, he played Death to My Hometown. Jealous. Uh, other than that, the encore never changes. The encore run just never changes. Because it's just straight hits. And then that lovely acoustic version of I'll See You In My Dreams, which that's yeah. what I was saying. Like Emmett wanted to get out of there, but I managed to get that last song. It was because- really beautiful as well. The thing is, I love the E Street Band arrangement of that song. It's got this great organ solo by Charlie Giordano, but 
actually being there in person for the acoustic rendition it did feel really special and there was an intimacy to it like he does these solo acoustic performances at the end of East street shows like this is like in the last decade or so that are just so intimate like you can barely kind of hear his guitar and he's singing so quietly that the crowd has no choice but to kind of shut the fuck up oh man so we are hopefully getting another Bruce tour next year. Probably won't be playing High Park Festival two years in a row. It's happened, I think. It's happened. Has anyone played two years in a row? Definitely, but I'm trying to think who. Bruce might have played 2013 and 14, if I if I if I remember correctly. 2012. When did I see Neil Young there? Uh, 2009. Because he definitely no. played 2012. He didn't play 2011. Uh, might have been 12 and 13. I saw him there in 2009. Nice. Probably <laughs> because it used to be almost like his concert. Because he's a partner in the Hard Rock Cafe, isn't he? Oh, is he? I think Eric Clapton that, was. Yeah, but that makes sense. I'm pretty sure he owned a part of the Hard Rock Cafe. Yeah. yeah him and George Harrison. So that's why he started Hard Rock Calling as the London Festival. And then... Cool. I guess he kind of just gave it over to... It started changing hands and changing names a lot. Kicking ass and taking names. I mean, I've seen some amazing gigs at whatever it was called. I think the last time Bruce played, when it was 2012, it was still the hard Hard rock. It was so sick in 2019 how Neil Young refused to play if it was called British Summertime because he was like... British Summertime is sponsored by Barclay Card, who were a fossil fuel supporting entity. And he like he basically threatened to drop out unless it was a completely unbranded concert. 2019 was such a weird year for headliners because they went really big ballady headliners because there was Barbara Streisand and Celine Dion like one after another. Yeah, and Neil Young and Bob Dylan co-headlining, which is the single greatest lineup of any gig of all time. Should we call it a night, Jude? Shall we? Shall we? Because I'm going so to a environment. I've got hostile environment training tomorrow. Be kidnapped by the SAS at some point this weekend. That'd be fun for me. Oh, wow. Well, you'll oh, have to tell me more about this at some other time. I'm literally fucking dying, but that sounds really great. interesting. <laughs> great to speak to you as always, Jack. You take yeah. care. Thank you, Jude. You as well. It's been great reliving our Bruce show and enjoy your targeted individual training. Thank you. Speak to you soon. Awesome. Speak to you soon. Been very fun. Bye. Peace. The road is long and seeming without end. The days go on I remember you My friend And though you're gone And my heart's been emptied it seems I'll see you in my dreams I got your guitar Here by the bed all your favorite records and all the books that you read and though my soul feels like it's been split at the seams I'll see you in my dreams 
I'll see you in my dreams When all our summers have come to an end I'll see you in my dreams We'll meet and live and laugh again I'll see you in my dreams Yeah, up around the river bend For death is not the end And I'll see you in my dreams I'll see you in my dreams when all our summers have come to an end I'll see you in my dreams We'll meet and live and laugh again I'll see you in my dreams Yeah, up around the river bend For death is not the end And I'll see you Tech, it's exciting, it's young people, it's crowdsourcing.